Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is, I don't know, seems like Friday. Friday, Friday! It okay, is Friday, it's, yes. I know, it's so exciting, right? It is. Paul, where do the weeks go, man? Where do the days go and the hours? I, I was just thinking about earlier today, wait a minute, next weekend is the start of the 4th of July week. Where's the summer going? What's going on here? Oh, oh. All right, so um, yeah, Paul Perot and Carmen LaBerge here with you this morning. Thank you so much for including us in your day. We count it a great privilege. Um, as the sun rises, uh, maybe where you live, or maybe you are somewhere where the sun is already setting. We just want to acknowledge that all places and all times are under the sovereignty of God, and so are we. And so let's turn our attention to Him. Let's seek to gain God's perspective on what's happening in the world. Let's reconnect the eternal with the everyday, that um, that we might walk our faith out into the world today in ways that honor Jesus. That's uh, the, the one to whom we belong, and we want to glorify him, and we certainly want to make his name famous in the world around us. So let's turn our attention to the Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It comes from Deuteronomy 31.8. If you're not signed up for the Growing Your Faith verse of the day, you can get it in your inbox first thing in the morning. Just go to myfaithradio.com. Dot com. So Deuteronomy 31.8, this um, sentiment, this spirit, this truth is repeated over and over and over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. And so I want you to hear it afresh and anew this morning, particularly if you are afraid or if you are discouraged, um, if you are feeling forsaken. This is, um, this is God's word for us and let it speak to us through that which God has already spoken. Have you ever thought about the Bible that way? God is speaking to you through that which he has already spoken. So Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's Deuteronomy 31.8. If God is for me, what do I have to fear? If God is with me, of whom do I have to be afraid? Are you living with some kind of palpable or tangible um, real sense of the presence of the living God? That is who God is. God is the one who is present. He is the great I am. Not just I am in some preexistent eternal sense, but I am with you present right now. Do you live with a palpable, tangible, real sense of the presence of the living God? The Lord himself goes before you. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And that's not just uh, Deuteronomy 31.8. I mean, that sentiment is echoed in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. I am with you, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Think of all the places throughout the Psalms where the assurance of God's active, powerful, purposeful presence um, encourages the one who is singing and praying. Joshua 1.9 comes to mind. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, says the Lord. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was certainly um, the sense that the Apostle Paul had when he penned the words of Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to all these things going on in the world and all these people who, you know, have it in for us? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare or withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's chosen ones? It's God who justifies. Who, who's going to condemn us? I mean, no one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God. He is interceding for us. Who could possibly or what could possibly separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm convinced, says Paul, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any power, not height nor depth, not anything in all creation is going to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you live with a sense of that confidence? Because that is the truth. The Lord himself goes before you. He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is with you, my friend. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, in all likelihood, you have already heard the news um, about the tragic end, the demise of the submersible known as Titan. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll read the um, I'll read the news line here from the Coast Guard. The search and rescue mission for the underwater vessel that went missing while descending to the wreckage of the Titanic um, has ended. With the discovery of the craft's destroyed parts on the ocean floor. Um, the Coast Guard uh, has said the submersible vessel underwent a catastrophic implosion, um, that the pressure chamber in which the five individuals were descending to the Titanic, um, pieces of that pressure chamber were found 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic, a remotely operated underwater vehicle um, reached the seafloor on Thursday and found five major pieces of the submersible in two areas of debris fields near the Titanic wreckage, some 12,500 feet beneath the sea, hundreds of miles off the coast of Newfoundland. So today, um, well, and for those who might be asking, um, as some have asked, you know, well, well what about the people And let me just say that um, under the kind of literally astronomical physical pressure that we're talking about here, 6,000 
pounds per square inch of force. Um, and an implosion that happened in what's described as less than two nanoseconds, um, the crushing force would literally leave nothing of the human body left. And so these are people who went to the ocean depths to visit um, a graveyard where more than 1,500 souls lost their lives on the Titanic when it sank. And those five will now remain there as well. So today we reflect on the fragility of the human body. Like your body can only take so much. But I also want to reflect on the unlimited imagination, the drive of the human spirit to explore. Like, why do we seek to see? Why do we seek to explore? Why do we want to discover and experience? Like, what drives us to the moon and beyond? What makes us want to see what no man has seen at the depths of the sea? Um, I think that we wonder because we want to see what God has made. And some imagined that they want to be like God. But really, adventure and exploration are, um, I think, reflective of the Spirit of God, who <laughs> ranges about it all, all the time, and is obviously fascinated by every component of it. As I was reflecting um, on adventure and exploration and faith and God, um, even as I was lifting up the families of those who are lost. I, I recalled the testimony of John Glenn. So, I mean, I know that he died several years ago now. Um, John Glenn was 95 in 2016 when he died, when he closed his eyes for the last time here on the earth and opened his eyes to behold the face of God. I mean, John Glenn, a fellow Christian, a strong believer, a, a man of deep faith, he talked a lot about what he saw when he went to the heavenlies. He talked a lot about looking upon the face of God and the vantage point on God's handiwork that few humans ever get to experience. He said, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God, well, to me, that is impossible. Um, that's what John Glenn said when he returned from his last trip to outer space when he was 77 years old. That was in 1998. He says, it strengthens my, my faith. He talked about praying every day and um, walking by faith, not only here on the earth, but as he orbited the earth. Um, and he was an example to others. Other astronauts um, gave testimony about how John Glenn um, reinforced their faith as they explored the heavenlies. And so I want to encourage you today um, to wonder and to look and to declare the glory of God testify today about the greatness and the goodness of God. Um, I mean, other people are going to be asking questions today about, well, if death comes that quickly in less than two nanoseconds, like you got to get your business with Jesus done before that. And yes, we're going to weep today with those who weep, um, but we're also going to declare that there is nowhere you can go from the spirit of the living God and that God was just as present in the depths of the sea where these five came um, to their end as he is where you are right now. You and I may never travel to the farthest reaches of the heavens nor the depths, depths of the sea, but wherever you are, God is there. And if you get to go to those places, God would be there too.
Psalm 139 assures us, where can I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle at the far side of the sea, even there, your hand would guide me. Your right hand hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness would hide me and the light become night around me, well, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So let's be people of light today, declaring the goodness of God um, in the time that we have, because in the next two nanoseconds, you might be in the very presence of the living God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, there's a lot going on in the world. Let's see if we can turn our attention to some of it as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. Um, The goal here is that you and I would be more fully equipped to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. That's, that's my heart. My heart is to help us reconnect the eternal with the everyday, um, to see things from God's perspective, maybe to get uh, a, a, few, uh, a few things to put in our pocket that we could talk about today that would be different than the way the world is talking about the same things. So um, here's something that my dear friend and sweet producer, Paul Perot, just sent me this morning. Uh, you know, Paul, you're multitasking because this came in at, at like 6.14 a.m. Yeah, like, I'm always, literally, always <laughs> looking for stuff, ago. you know. <laughs> Mr. Moore turned 100, and it his birthday party went to the dogs. Totally went to the dogs. Okay, I love this story. Um, so this uh, this 100-year-old man, uh, his his family wanted to provide kind of a unique celebration and so she just let it be known that you know she's going to wheel him out to the edge of the uh, the edge of the sidewalk, um, right to the end of the of the where the sidewalk from where he lives meets the sidewalk in the community. And he would be sitting there in his wheelchair, and he would love to pet a dog or two, right? And so she thought, oh, I don't know, maybe twenty, maybe thirty dogs would show up. Hundreds of dogs, hundreds of dogs, two hundred dogs. The line stretched around the block, and he joyfully petted each and every one of them. He said he pet every single dog that came through and every person, um, you know, that brought a dog. It was just so lovely. Best day petting every single dog. So he's 100 years old. Um, so that is a wonderful birthday gift that that cost no one anything. This is like not expensive, right? So Paul and I are thinking that when I turn 60, this is a this is a good that would be a good party. I should just go to the dogs. I, I just right? hope your husband Jim is listening and your sisters. It's a few and, you know, years, yeah. a few years off. Yeah, it's a few years off. So it is time to. Plan. They have time. If you don't have a dog, you have time to get one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, what a joyful! That is so great. I just love that. Hundreds of dogs show up to parade for a man's hundredth birthday. Yeah, I. Uh, that is fantastic. That's a that's a fantastic story. Um, hundreds of thousands of people are going to show up this weekend in the Twin Cities because of not just uh, Taylor Swift, but a number of other things that are going on. And so prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Hundreds of thousands, something like a half a million extra people. Paul, where are you going to put all those people? 
I what's your plan? I have no plan. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna stick by my house in the North Metro and just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would say if you don't like have good cause, if you don't have a ticket to, to something and some really good reason to um, to go into one of these cities where Taylor Swift is performing. Um, I know that in Metro Atlanta, like a hundred and a hundred and one hundred and forty thousand extra people tried to ride the Metro. Um, let me just say it, that that many more people can't ride the Metro like it's too many people um, trying to use public transit and all kinds of other things. So uh, plan ahead. If you are going in for one of these uh, events, uh, the lines will be long. Um, traffic will be slow. So, yeah, if you, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I don't want to encourage people to avoid big cities. But, yeah, if you could avoid it, this weekend might be the time to avoid it. Lost in translation. You know, over the course of time, there are lots of things that are lost in translation. Well, less things are going to be lost in translation now because Meta is now providing text-to-speech for more than 1,100 languages. That's incredible. So I want you to just think for a moment um, that just a fraction of the 7,000 languages around the world um, or or the spoken languages around the world are um, like actually written down in ways that are cognizable to others. Um, and, And many, many, many of those languages are being spoken by potentially the last generation of speakers of those particular languages because languages like English tend to dominate um, globally. And so Meta has this pioneering work um, because it has these AI language learning models. And anyway, um, there are all kinds of uses for it, but I guess I'm, I am imagining and thinking toward um, the use of it for Bible translation and the use of it for communicating the gospel in, um, in languages and to people groups who have not yet heard. And less will be lost in translation because the the AI language learning model will actually be able to say things in um, in ways that make sense. It's not just that you're translating the words; you'll be translating the thoughts and even the idioms, and that is really cool. So I just want to say a, a prayer over all of that, <clears throat> and then a couple of um, uh, a couple of comments. I'm kind of out of time to make comments, aren't I, Paul? I might have to hold this uh, thought, this thought. Well, I don't know how long is your comment going to go. You have, have like long, five minutes here. I have here. a long thought about flying flags, so I might have to I might have to hold my flag flying comments for another time. But I will just say this: um, you will note that NHL teams will not be having special jerseys for pregame warm warm ups during themed nights in the next season. The NHL has decided. You know what? It's too much of a distraction. Um, so. There won't be any uh, pregame special jersey warm-up kinds of things. Um, It it causes what the league describes as an unwelcome distraction. So uh, no more of that. And um, so the 32 teams that held pride or hockey is for everyone nights. Yeah, this would be the last last year for that. Um, Too much distraction, the league says. And so that led me to wonder, where are you seeing pride flags and how are you responding to that during this, um, you know, what is known as Pride Month? Did you did you see the flag of the United States celebrated on Flag Day, June the 14th? Just kind of wondering, thinking back nine days ago. Um, there is a bit of an uproar among members of Congress, including those on the Armed Services and the Veterans Affairs Committees, because the Department of Veterans Affairs made an announcement at the beginning of June, uh, letting VA facilities uh, across the country know that they were welcome to fly the LGBTQ pride flag 
um, beneath the the American flag at VA facilities. And people are upset about this when they see at a VA facility that instead of um, the flags of the branches of the U.S. military or instead of the POW MIA flag, um, that the LGBTQ pride flag is flying at some VA facilities. And so um, what do you think? What flag are you flying? And how do you respond to the flags that others fly? I live in the South, so there is a continuing conversation about people flying the Confederate flag. And I do think that as Christians, um, we ought to think about what flag we fly. And yeah, and the banner that we live under. Um, Flags provide really rich symbolism. And when we raise them high, they... They're like, you know, they're designed to rally people to a particular point, to bring people together for a common cause. And so as a Christian, what flag are you flying? Sometimes those causes can be just and good, those rallying flags. And sometimes they're not so good. We put an image on a flag, we rally to it, we march behind it, we affix our identity to it. And that image becomes symbolic of an idea or an ideology that, well, it takes on a life of its own. So we'll return to this conversation um, again and talk more about it. But, you know, it's true that you have the right under the Constitution of the United States to fly whatever image, to fly whatever symbol, to fly whatever flag you choose. Um, But as a Christian, a dual citizen of this nation under heaven, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as a person who is a representative, an ambassador of another king and another kingdom, what flag is it appropriate to wave. And I just want to say that the Christian life is lived under the banner of Christ. Um, and we should probably, as Christians, in the culture, be flying a white flag of surrender. And we should probably be flying it at half-mast. I wonder what con- kinds of conversations that might provoke. Our friend Chris Martin is going to join us here in just a moment. Um, We're going to be talking about some of the things uh, going on in the culture um, and in the world of social media and the social internet. That's his area of expertise. Um, Conspiracy theories abound in the culture. They may also abound in your church. What is a conspiracy theory and how can you identify the ones that you're living in the midst of? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Forgiveness. I just want you to just pause on that word for just a moment. Forgiveness. We're quick to, hopefully we're quick to seek it when we need it. But hopefully we're also quick to extend it when others need it. I know this is a, this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for me. There's one particular individual in my life who it has become increasingly difficult to forgive because he is testing my patience 70 times 7 times. And you can probably hear it in my voice. It wears on us when the same person sins against us in the same way over and over and over and over and over again. And so um, I'm in need of forgiveness. I'm in need of learning more of how to forgive in the spirit of Christ, particularly those who continue to sin against me in the same way over and over and over and over and over again. 
I lose patience. Um, I, I respond in what is less than grace and less than graciousness. And I don't want to hear myself say, no, I have forgiven you for the last time. No, especially in this particular circumstance, because it does become increasingly apparent to me that when sin, a particular sin becomes a pattern of life, it is very, very difficult for people to live differently than those habits lead them to live. And so if they're trapped in addiction, it is very difficult for them to not sin against us. And so I take a deep breath and I consider all the ways that I'm addicted to sin and all the ways that I sin compulsively day after day against God and how often and how frequently I have to ask for for forgiveness, for his forgiveness. And that I then, because God has forgiven me, I have a reservoir of grace out of which to forgive others. If you need some help with that, as I do, I'm going to invite you into our day of forgiveness next Wednesday um, and start accessing resources now. Um, we've got a ton of forgiveness resources posted at MyFaithRadio.com. We're inviting you into an ongoing journey of forgiveness. You can join us in that by texting the word FORGIVE to uh, 877-933-2484. Text the word FORGIVE to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our, our friend Chris Martin is going to join us next. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Chris Martin is back. You can read what he's writing at his Terms of Service blog. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I have to do one little item of cleanup with um, with Paul. Um, yes. Hey, Paul, yeah. simple texting kicked me out. Can you um, send me the login information? Oh, no problem. I'll email so it. I'm not missing yeah. everybody's yeah. text. Okay. Thank you. Um, all right. So, um, Chris, I don't know about you. Have you ever been kicked out of anything electronic and been like, I don't have the login information for that in front of me. And now <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm blind, flying blind. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, okay, four kinds of conspiracy theorists in your church. All right, there shouldn't be conspiracy theorists in my church at all, but there are a number of, and I will say us, right? So um, all kinds of ways that we might fit into these categories. And so talk with us about um, talk with us about conspiracy theories and then where we're seeing this um, in the leadership of the church today. Yeah, um you know, when I set out to write my most recent book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 12 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead, I asked a couple dozen pastors and church leaders, counselors, Christian leaders in various spheres, like, hey, here's the sort of table of contents of the next book I plan to write. Pick it apart. Tell me what shouldn't be there that is there or something that might be missing that I should add. And and tell me, you know, of all these chapters or a chapter you don't see, what is like if there's one chapter that needs to be in my book on social media and how it's uh, affecting Christians, what should the uh, what should that chapter be? And uh, everyone, 100 percent of respondents responded and said, you need to have a chapter on conspiracy theories. 
Um, now this was like kind of uh, toward the tail end of what would be considered the height of COVID. So I think conspiracy theories were sort of like um, running amok perhaps more than they like ever have uh, in the last decade or so. Um, and so that it was definitely a front of mind issue for a lot of people. And so I said, you know, I said to myself, I was like, yeah, I have to make sure that this chapter is in there. And I had had some form of that in that list. And so as I was writing it, I was like, what, you know, people come at conspiracy, conspiracy theories differently. And, and I think all of us have some conspiracy theorist in us, whether, you know, we think there wasn't a single shooter for JFK or, you know, we think some more modern conspiracy theories, whatever it is. I think I think all of us wonder if everything is as it looks to be. And I think that's natural and not necessarily bad either. I, I think and I'm I think I'm pretty clear about this in the book. I want to be very careful to not like uh, demonize people who who um, think that conspiracy is going on. We live in an age of conspiracy, uh, which is mm. simply conspiracy, to be frank, is just people who are plotting things behind the scenes that aren't, you know, talking about them explicitly. And so, like, I mean, we've 9-11 was a conspiracy, like not not the not a conspiracy in terms of like uh, how it's often talked about of like, oh, the U.S. did this to themselves. But it, it was a conspiracy in that it was a plan to do harm that was hidden and secret and carried out in, in public. And so, like, there's all kinds of conspiracies of 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 harm that happen. But theories are like, well, actually, this thing that looks bad, here's what's actually going on. And this is where it can get problematic for Christians because we're supposed to be people of truth. And and if we're going to expend a lot of time and energy and um you know effort to peddle theories that may or may not be true but are theories nonetheless, we may be invalidating our witness of the gospel when it comes time to proclaim that truth. And frankly, I think a lot of us have seen Christians who are much more interested in peddling theories about various conspiracies that are going on than they are the good news of Jesus. And so to help leaders uh, process this in the book, I kind of came up with a little quadrant matrix of, hey, here are here are some different ways people approach conspiracies in your church and, and how you should be on the lookout for those. And so we have quiet believers who are like, hey, I, I think this stuff's going on, but I'm not really going to talk about it. We have outspoken believers who are the ones who are like, you know, ribbing the pastor after service, like, hey, I saw this on Facebook. Are you are you afraid to talk about this conspiracy theory? Why don't you talk about this? Come on, talk about this to kind of look for validation. You have the outspoken deliberator who's kind of like, uh, you know, I think this might be real, but I, and they're kind of crowd testing it. You know, they might show up at small group and say, I think this conspiracy theory might be legit, but I don't really know. What do you guys think? You know, and I, I want to talk about this and make it, you know, part of my personality and part of what I want to talk about. And then the quiet deliberator, that's where I think a lot of us may be, where we see conspiracy theories on social media or we hear about them from friends and family. And we're kind of like, yeah, you know, I wonder that does seem kind of odd and that, that does seem a little bit, um, you know, off or whatever. And I, and I think there's some level of health to being a quiet deliberator um, when you, you just want to consider, you know, you have a family member who's claiming that something nefarious is going on and you're like, well, okay, I want to hear them out. I love this family member. I trust them, but I, I have some healthy skepticism about what they're saying or whatever else. And I'm not not going to go, you know, trumpet this idea, this conspiracy theory that they're bringing to me. I'm not going to go say that to all my friends and see what they think. And so those, I think, are the different ways we come come at conspiracy theories. I do think, you know, anytime I write about this, I've even gotten some sort of, you know, soft hate mail since this mm -hmm. newsletter on Tuesday. And 
anytime I write about this, people immediately feel sort of like defensive or seen. Absolutely. Um, and I th- and and I think it's because we've we've you know conspiracy theorists or conspiracy theories have become so overwhelmingly negative. And I think for good reason because they're they're more often used uh, for ill than for good. But I but I think that we need to go back a little bit to seeing conspiracy theories as more of a neutral term is like, Hey, this is a theory about a conspiracy that's going on or a conspiracy I think is going on. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a pejorative. It, it is often. And I think, like I said, for good reason, however, it doesn't have to be a pejorative. It can be a, Hey, there's this, there are some theories floating around about this particular thing that's going. I mean, I've seen conspiracy theories about the, Sub the submersible tragedy that's been going on, like oh, actually those people weren't actually on that submersible. Like that mm-hmm. is a conspiracy theory that's obviously harmful. If no one, if to no one else, to the families of the people who were on there. So, so I think we we just have to be on guard. And the reason I write about this in the book is because conspiracy theories existed long before social media, obviously. However, social media has just dumped gasoline on the fire of conspiracy theories because it allows them to spread so much more quickly than ever before. This defensiveness that we experience and I and it's immediate and it's um and we hear it from I mean almost immediately. As soon as as you even suggest that um that what someone is lifting up may not be one hundred percent true or accurate or verifiable or the defensiveness is is quick. And I guess, Chris, I wonder if we could if we could reconnect for a moment with what it must have felt like immediately following the resurrection of Jesus and maybe then a, a following his ascension um, to be a Christian and to face the kind of scrutiny that would have been present in the culture and to face all of the conspiracy theories that were floating around at the time. Well, no, I mean, de- Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So they stole his body. Um, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, I mean, you know, like I, whatever the conspiracy theories were um, on that day or in that day and time, and some of them persist until today, I do think it gives us um, a perspective on the current conversations of the day. It also puts in perspective um, the thing about which we should be focused on and should be talking about. And that's right. And so I just I guess I just offer that up. Yeah, and and I'll say one thing. I think I think my dad is listening. He usually listens. Hey, dad, one of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me because as a teenager and even still a little bit today, I could I could be quite argumentative and want to, uh, you know, if that's hard to believe if you've been listening to me for any period of time. Um, but he he gave me the advice of, um, I understand that you really want to advocate for what's right, but you have to pick what hills you you need to really choose which hills you want to die on. You have to choose your battles wisely. And I think when it comes to conspiracy theories, even if as a Christian you're advocating for a conspiracy theory that proves true. The the question we need to ask ourselves as believers is when we espouse conspiracy theories even if they prove true. That thing, that theory, that um thought about whatever's going on in the world sort of becomes our message. It becomes the thing we care about most often, or at least a lot. And even if it, again, even if it proves true, can cloud 
our witness of the gospel because we often are belligerent about this idea or or this theory. And, and I think we just need to be really careful as believers to pick our battles and choose which hills we're willing to die on. And even if we quietly believe, yeah, man, I really think something more nefarious is going on here. I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. However, when we start blasting that everywhere, and especially if we get belligerent about it, we need to recognize that we may be picking a battle that's simply not worth fighting. Well, or that um, or that has to be fought with different weapons than the world has right. provided. There's right. always something more nefarious going on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? Um, and so I think that as Christians, being able to talk about, talk sensibly um, and honestly about the reality of spiritual warfare, about the reality that there are multiple things going on at the same time um, at different levels of, and and not everybody is aware of all of them, and yet not then get lost in there's a devil behind every bush. Like, right, there's, this is, this right. is the, I think the challenge of the, of the stew that we live in as Christians and spiritual discernment is necessary and walking by faith with one another is necessary and I mean, I just throw into this whole conversation in this mix the reality that there's a lot of people, a lot of people, high percentage of people suffering with some kind of mental illness. And you're not going to have a fully rational conversation with with an irrational, delusional person. It's not going to happen. Um, you cannot actually. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't. Re- I mean, this is a terrible way to say it. And I'll say it anyway. You can't reason with crazy. And so attempts to do so are ultimately futile. And so encourage folks to be discerning about which conversations they engage in and for what length of time, because you you cannot argue um, reasonably with some folks. It's just the reality. So, Chris, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, I'd love for you to um, walk with us into and through another piece that you have posted um, on your Terms of Service blog, and that is this piece about becoming disincarnate beings. What does it mean to be incarnate? And what does it mean to become disincarnate? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Chris Martin, you can find what we're talking about at his Terms of Service blog on Substack. Um, Chris, what does it mean to be a disincarnate being, and why are we talking about it? Yeah, so uh, a while ago, I came across a video of a Canadian philosopher and media ecologist named Marshall McLuhan, um, who died a number of years ago, but was very active in his writing in the late 20th century. He came up with the sort of axiom that the medium is the message that Neil Postman and many others have since kind of um, built upon. And McLuhan is just a, a great thinker. And I've, I've learned a lot from both reading his books and watching a few kind of interviews and talks of his. Um, and in this interview, he's talking about specifically our relationship with like the television and, and how it is 
radically changing our relationship with other people. He says this. He says, everybody has become porous. The light and the message go right through us. At this moment, we are on the air because he's on TV. He says, we do not have any physical body. When you're on the telephone or on radio or on TV, you don't have a physical body. You're just an image on the air. When you don't have a physical body, you're a disincarnate being. You have a very different relation to the world around you. I think this has been one of the big effects of the electric age, he says. It has deprived people really of their private identity. And I think for us as Christians, we need to recognize that our relationship with other people on the internet is through a sort of discarnate, disincarnate um, state where as we argue with people on Twitter or we comment on you know, Facebook comment sections on various pieces of content there, we're arguing with people in a very discarnate way where it's easy for us to forget that the people with whom we engage are people for one and therefore for two bear the image of God just as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where, again, McLuhan was talking about how, you know, it, we see this all the time. Like, you, you know, you look at, I've had this experience a few times where I've like seen famous actors or TV people or, or musicians. And it's like, you see these people on TV, you know, you watch a TV show for years and then you like maybe see that person in public or, or something like that. And you're like, Oh my gosh, they're real. I, I I've experienced mm-hmm. this a lot. In fact, with athletes, I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan. And so, you know, I'll, I'll watch, you know, 80 games of the Chicago Cubs on TV and then actually go to a game. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like, that person's actually real. Like they're standing in front of me. Um, and I think a lot of times that, that, that is where it, just an example of how we have this sort of like the difference between being an incarnate being and a disincarnate being. And I think when we engage with people on social media, because we're engaging with disincarnate beings and we ourselves are, I think that's just at the root of so much of our misconduct Um, in relation to other people online is we feel like we can treat people as less than human because frankly, in that moment, they kind of are at least in their presentation of, of themselves. Um, We're not seeing a person. We're seeing an idea of a person, a sort of a facsimile of a person. And so we feel like we can treat it more harshly or differently uh, at all than if the person was sitting across from us. And so I think this idea of disincarnate versus incarnate radically affects how we treat one another. Uh, the Truman Show um, yes. com- comes to mind. Jury duty, if folks have not yet um, seen uh, the series Jury Duty, um, that is an uh, that is like a total contemporary example of what you're talking about. And the actor who plays himself is the only like character who the person who is like Truman in the show, um, Ronald, like Ronald's not in on the whole story. So he doesn't know that everyone else is an actor, but James Marsden is an actor who plays himself as an exaggerated form of himself. Anyway, so in terms of being like incarnate and disincarnate and playing roles and, um, and putting on Christ, maybe, as a good um, conversation uh, for Christians to have as a part of this as well. Like, this is a robust conversation we can have in the culture today. Um, people feel, I mean, people are even, will even openly talk about um, feeling as if they are imposters. Like, 
they will openly talk about imposter syndrome in their industry. Like I'm I'm faking it to make it where I am or whatever. And you're like, okay, so let's talk about that because that is a part of this conversation that you're encouraging us to have. Yeah, totally. It is it is really hard. Earlier in this interview with McLuhan, which I wrote about a few weeks ago, it's it's um it's really hard to like feel real today. And it's it's easy to feel like you're losing touch with your past self or mm. or it's it's the reason nostalgia is like I'm a sucker for nostalgia big time. But there's a reason nostalgia really seems to be more popular today than almost any time in modern history. And it's because nostalgia feel gives us a feeling like we can connect with our past more real self. Because mm. as we move forward and kind of engage online, it feels like we become we become disconnected with who we really are. Mm. Yeah, I think there's um I think there's more to plumb here. So thank you for uh, stimulating the conversation and for um, your contribution to it today. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Hey, avoid mass transit this weekend. Apparently, that all the peoples are going to be out there. This is what I have. Yeah. This is my, that is my, yeah, that's, that's my encouragement. <clears throat> All right. That's Chris Martin. Um, we love talking with him. He helps us engage with the social internet in ways that honor Jesus. Um, you can check out what he is blogging about and connect with him. Termsofservice.social. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, um, I am. It, it, it is totally inappropriate because I don't have, I only have a minute to uh, lift up the conversation on the text line about flags in the church sanctuary. Um, so thank you to the person who asked the question. Hey, we've got a new incoming pastor, and the flags were taken down in the church sanctuary. Um, that's probably a feelings conversation as much as it is a theology conversation. Let's just think for a moment about why we have things in the sanctuary that we have. Like, what are the banners that are hanging there? Um, Think about the cross. Think about the communion table. Think about flowers. Think about hymnals and Bibles. Um, What adorns the sanctuary and why is it there? Um, Maybe you have stained glass. Maybe you don't. Um, So when you think about including items in the sanctuary or removing items from the sanctuary— I want you to just pause and consider why are those things in there? What things ought to be in there? And what does removing one of those things indicate? Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.